I would say collectively, we as Christians are unthankful people. I remember when, my, when I was younger, my mom and dad, they would tell people jokingly, they'd say, oh yeah, he's a spoiled brat. And they would say that about all the kids, right? My dad would say, all six of them have been spoiled brats. Even though I've heard stories of the, the older kids not having hardly anything to eat. <laughs> so he still used it jokingly and comically. I remember one day it struck me, though. I got tired of them saying it. Because they were essentially calling me a spoiled brat. That's what they were using the terminology. You're calling me a spoiled brat. And I remember looking up at my dad one day and I said, Dad, I may be spoiled, but I'm not a brat. And for those of you nursery workers in here, you'd say, well, I know that is not the case. He was right on both factors. You're spoiled and you're a brat. But as he said that, it always registered with me that spoiled, uh, sure, I've been blessed beyond all measure. I live in America. I, I was able to be brought up in a church. Man, I had been spoiled. But I've been blessed by God to be, uh, to be given great parents and a great church family. And, and really, I was just blessed. And so I understand the spoiled part. But to me, the word brat always meant unthankful for it. And I felt, even at a young age, that I was so glad that I wasn't born into a Catholic home. Now you say, oh, the life of a preacher's kid, it must be easy. Or some of you say, oh, it must be hard. Think what you will. I was grateful for being a pastor's kid. Now it came with its perks and it came with its uh, things that weren't so good, its benefits. But I, I tell you... I never felt like I was a spoiled brat. But I think sometimes, maybe when it comes to my relationship with the Lord, I do show a little spoiled brattiness. Now, I think if we were all a little bit honest with ourselves tonight, we'd say, oh, God's been good, but in measure of how good He's been to us, do we relay that same amount of gratitude towards Him? Tonight, I want to just simply talk to you about five reasons we fail to thank God. And really, as we look at this story, it's kind of hard for us to identify with lepers, right? I mean, we don't really have any people in here with that disease that I know of. I I would say that it's not something that we deal with too much in America. But I say it is closer to us uh, than you might think it is. I want you to notice, first of all, this leprosy in this passage involved all ten people. And it affected every single person who was involved in this story. Now, how many people came to Jesus at this time in this story? Ten. How many people were lepers? Ten. How many people cried, Mercy! Mercy! How many people? Ten. So in our story, every single person involved was affected with leprosy. You know, it's strangely similar to how we all are sinners. Every single person, no matter how good or no matter how bad of a sinner you are, you're still a sinner. And really, it was no fault of these men that they were lepers. You know, in Jewish culture, a lot of the time, people thought that God gave men leprosy for being wicked sinners. We, we learn in the story of Job how 
Job is dealing with all this hard time, and it was just, this is Jewish culture. They, it, Job's friends came to Job, and they said, Job, what have you done that was so bad that God's hand has turned upon you? And for them, it made sense that, you know, if you receive some type of disease or some type of uh, chastisement from God, that you were wrong in some area and you're being punished. But we learn from the story of Job that that's not necessarily the case. Some, sometimes God did things for no certain reason. I mean, nobody on earth knew that the devil and God were having a showdown with Job. Nobody on earth knew the circumstances surrounding Job's trial. And while his friends may have said, Job, what, what sin are you hiding in your life? God and Satan knew that Job had done no wrong. And Job actually kind of heroically maintains integrity almost throughout the whole trial of his faith. You see, it was no fault of our own that we're sinners. Now, truth of the matter is, we all have sinned, and we all know that, right? But we learned this morning through Romans chapter 5 that it didn't matter if we could maintain a perfect life. It was no fault of our own. We were sinners the day we were born. I remember looking into my daughter's face, and I remember for the first time holding her, and, and you know, me and Amy had a big argument as to who was going to get to hold Caitlin first. Ended up when she held a butterfly knife to my throat, I ended up being the better Christian and letting her have it. But I looked at my daughter that day, and I, I just couldn't see the effects of sin in her life, but the Bible assures me they were there. Romans chapter 5 says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world. Now, at the end of the day, disease came onto the earth because of sin. Uh, uh, disease came as a result of our sin. That's why the Bible says that uh, the penalty of sin is death. And so without any sin, without any failures, without any disobedience to God, we'd have all been able to live harmoniously with no sickness. But this leprosy was a direct result of sin. And our sin nature was a direct result of sin. And it passed down to us and every single person under the sound of my voice tonight at one time was a sinner. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not only did it affect everyone that was involved, but it afflicted everyone that was involved. It afflicted every single one of them. Now, we don't really find this in the passage, but we find it through knowing what the disease of leprosy does. It afflicts people. It hurts them. It's painful. Uh, I want you to notice, first of all, that sin spreads very much like leprosy. I mean, leprosy was contracted sometimes through the touch. I read several articles today on leprosy, and, and most of the time it was done through the touch. Sometimes it was done through other means, but... Most of the time it was through the touch, but no matter if you touched him on your hand, eventually the, the sickness would spread. And it would work its way up to your ears and to your face and to your mouth. It would work its way all over. But similarly, sin spreads the same way. If we don't take control and we don't ask the Lord to help us in our life, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And I promise you this, brother, it'll cost you far more than you'd ever want to pay. Sin spreads, but it also numbs. And what I didn't know about leprosy 
is that leprosy is not just a skin disease, but leprosy actually attacks the nervous system. So much so that a person is unable to feel body parts that have been affected for long periods of time. And in fact, as I read the article, it said that most of the uh, uh, deformalities on people that had leprosy, for instance, uh, uh, curled hands or nubs, most of those did not come from the disease, but it came as a result of not being able to feel pain. So it said that some people who had leprosy were sleeping at night and rats would come and chew on their fingers until they woke up the next morning and they found themselves with no fingers. And the pain never sent to their body because leprosy had attacked so they could not feel their hands. Doesn't that sound terrible? Affliction. I want you to notice something tonight. Sin has a numbing element to it. That's why uh, people who are in the world don't understand why we can't put up with their sin. Because no matter how grotesque their sin has become, eventually they become numb to it. Eventually, sin doesn't look quite so bad anymore because you've seen it so much. That's what the Bible says, Lot vexed his righteous soul. Day after day he dealt with sin and sinners, and it vexed him so much that he had difficulty telling what was right and wrong. Christian, don't allow sin to numb you. You see, we might have a difficult time uh, uh, applying leprosy to our lives, but the contrast between leprosy and what sin did to us or does to us, it's not really that much different. Not only did it afflict people, not only did it affect people, but it arrested people. Let me ask you, once a person contracted leprosy, how long do you think they had it? Forever. There was no cure. That's why in Leviticus, the Bible tells them that those who have leprosy are to go live in leper colonies. And they are to live alone, apart from everyone else, so as not to uh, 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 share the disease. They're to go and live with their own. And that would be a terrible lifestyle, but it was for the betterment of everybody. And as people were passing by, it was their obligation, their lawful obligation to say, Unclean! Unclean! Don't come close to me because you'll get it! It arrested them. You know... Apart from Christ, we had no freedom from sin. We were in bondage. You see, we might not know any lepers, but I know a whole bunch of sinners. And I look at what Christ has done for me. I look at all that he's done. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ, that made us free from the law of sin and death. We're relieved from the uh, bondage of sin. We don't have to deal with the pain of sin. We don't have to deal with the affliction of sin. Oh, it doesn't numb us because Christ has given us liberty from the law. 
I look at everything Christ has done for me, and sure, I may not have been on a hillside crying, mercy, mercy, with nine other lepers. But it was unique how one night at a hillside chapel, I knelt knelt in the back room and I said, mercy. Mercy. Now, we've looked at a lot of stories in the Bible about Christ healing. And a lot of the times I've vaguely said, your problem, meaning, I don't know what your problem is. Uh, not, I don't say that crudely or meanly. I say, I don't know what ailment or what difficulty you're going through right now. But tonight, the reason we ought to be thankful is not because God answers prayer. We preach that sermon. The, the reason we ought to be thankful tonight is because God has a plan at the end of the tunnel. Uh, uh, we've preached that sermon. You know why we as Christians are obligated to be thankful? Because we're saved. Because we're redeemed. Because we were children of wrath and now I'm a son of God. That makes no sense to me. But I ought to be thankful to God for it. You may not be a leper, my friend, but if you've received Christ, you ought to be duly thankful. Why do we then... Not, why are we not then thankful? What are reasons that we would ever forget to be thankful? Got five of them. First of all, we forget the pain. We forget the pain of it all. You see, the story here is ten men who have dealt with this ailment. I have no idea how long. I have no idea the amount of pain they dealt with. I know as I read about leprosy, some of the things were awful and horrendous so much so that I would not even bring them in front of you tonight. But I know as leprosy spreads, it not only deforms, but it almost uh, declines or uh, takes away. It eats. Meaning someone who has a nose no longer has one. And they walk around with an open hole on their You see, sometimes the reason we forget to thank God is because we remember, we forget how bad we had it. You say, Brother Andrew, I remember before Christ, I really didn't have it that bad. I had a good time. I, I was living a good life. I had lots of friends, and maybe sure we did things sometimes that were what we refer to as playfully stupid, right? We did stupid things. I, I actually, actually enjoyed my life. I don't see how Christians who have encountered the Lord can look back and say anything but, I'm thankful God saved me from that life. I don't understand how people can look back and say, oh, sure, in college we had a good time. Because now that my mind has been renewed, now that God has put a new song in my heart, Now that I've been changed by God, how could I look back 20 years ago and say, boy, yeah, we had a good time. We forget how bad we had it. Sure, on Friday night, you might have got drunk off your rocker. Sure, on Friday night, you might have had a lot of giggles. Sure, on Friday night, you might have had a lot of fun. You lay your head down at night, guess what? You're still on your way to hell. You, You still don't know what tomorrow holds. Because if you get in an accident, you're splitting hell wide open. You call that fun? You say that with enjoyment? 
I say we Christians are so unthankful because we forgot what it was like. See, what happened is these men forgot the pain they felt. Because with every step they took closer to the priest, the pain was gone. Every step they took, uh, they began to gain body parts that had fallen off. Every step they took, they felt better and better and better and better. And pretty soon it was almost like they never were a leper at all. Don't forget what we used to be like. Don't glorify the glory days. Christians, we ought not enjoy the sin of this world. We ought not enjoy the pleasures it has for us. There's nothing on this world for us but heartache and pain. We look forward to the day when Christ splits the sky wide open and we say, He's, he's coming back for His bride. Everything He said was true. All the pain I dealt with, all the heartache I dealt with, everything I went through, all the failures, all the, all, all the forgiveness, it's all boiling down to this. God is back for me. There's nothing here. Don't allow the world to paint a picture it's not. Don't allow the world to, to make us think that there's something pleasurable about it. We forget how ugly we used to have it. Not only do we forget the pain, secondly, we forget the plot. I want you to take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. We forget the plot. How many of you have ever watched a TV show whether it be a police show or a detective show or, or maybe even a scary show, I don't know. But it seems like at one point in almost every episode, for me, when I watch these detective shows, the lead detective decides to walk in a dark room all by himself with the smallest flashlight I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever noticed that? It's like they turn on their iPhone flashlight with their pistol in this hand and their iPhone, I'm going to get you. And we as an audience are saying what? Don't go in there. Don't go in there. You know he's in there. He's wearing all black clothing. There's no way you're going to see him. Sure enough, what happens here in a little while, you see a skirmish break out. And even though it's a dark room, the cameras pick it up really well. I've never, never understood that. And then the, the thief breaks, you know, and does all this stuff. And if it was Chuck Norris, you know, he just ends it. <laughs> like, roundhouse kick, you're done, you know. So you're like, Chuck, just charge in. It doesn't matter. You don't even need a flashlight. But we all, we all know what I'm talking about. Hollywood paints this thing. It's like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And we as an audience are saying, save yourself. Protect yourself. And it's like we see the ending before the person involved does. Let me show you the ending before the person involved sees it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
You know why I submit to you tonight that we've forgotten the plot? We forgot how it ended. If Christ had never come, if Christ in the garden had said, Okay, Lord, I don't really want to do this. I'm out. If Christ at one point had ever not kept His word to what He said He would do, if Christ at one time had ever gotten a little wobbly and went ahead and sinned, if that had ever happened... We're in Revelation 20. But thanks be to God, He did come. Thanks be to God, He was the Son of God who not only didn't sin, but could not sin. We just forget where we were headed. And I just want to encourage you tonight, don't forget what God has saved us from. A lot of times when preachers preach about what God has saved us to, God has saved us to good works. God has saved us to serve. But sometimes it's good to look back and see what He saved us from. He saved us from eternal banishment. He saved us from eternal darkness. He saved us from eternal punishment. And I just believe fully that we need to look at this and say, God, thank You. We forgot the pain. We forgot the plot. Thirdly, we forget the plea. Look at verse 13 of our passage over in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we find ourselves back in the passage. The Bible says, as these ten men had assembled, they're gathered just a little ways from Christ. In verse 13, and they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What a great word, mercy. There's a lot of doctrine in that word, mercy. Garrett, come up here for a second, buddy, if you don't mind. How many of y'all have ever played the game, mercy? I've played it. Sorry, parents, if your child knew nothing about this before. Garrett, you ever played mercy? Okay, you know how to play it? We're not going to play it, because I don't want to break your arms right here in front of everybody. Okay. <laughs> Affleck! <laughs> So me and Garrett, we're not holding hands because we're girls. We're holding hands because we're manly. And we're going to play mercy, but not really. But we are. And for those of you who have never played the game, we'll just stop the whole thing for a second. For those of you who have never played the game, Garrett, you were getting a little clingy there. (laughs) No, 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 stay there, stay there. For those of you who have never played the game, here's basically the premise of it. You take your hands and you try making the opponent... However you can make them say the word mercy. Basically, it means, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop. You're hurting me. Please stop, please stop, please stop. Right? Is that the way you play? Do you play prison rules or anything like that? Like, just shank, you know, (laughs) nothing nothing like that. Okay. All right, so we're here. We're going to slow-mo it. Let me win. Let me win. All right. We're going to play mercy. We ready? One, two, three, mercy. That's perfect. Great job, Gary. You can have a seat, buddy. That was great. I am one for zero on wins. A thousand percent win percentage. I like it. Basically, y'all all understand the game, right? At one point, you're in so much pain and so much trouble and so much agony, you have to say, please stop mercy. You know what these men were yelling that day on the hill? Lord, it's too much. 
Lord, we beg you. Lord, please, if you have the power, please, Lord. Lord, we've heard of what you've done for others. Now, Lord, be merciful and do it for us. Have you forgotten when you said those words? Have we forgotten that sensation of, I'm not going to die and go to hell anymore. I don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow because God is now on my side. Do you remember that night you cried those words, mercy? I remember it. I remember the relief I felt was like nothing I've felt since that day or before that day. Or just one simple word. But if you're saved tonight, we've all cried it. Sometimes I just think we forget about it. Sometimes in the turmoil of life, maybe even sometimes we get so busy serving God, we forget about the day we cried mercy. And we just forget about our plea. Fourthly, we forget about the provider. We forget about the provider. Look here in verse 14. Jesus says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now I find that very unique. And, and one thing that has been uh, a constant throughout our study is faith and obedience are required for miracles. They just are. For without faith, we can do nothing to please the Lord. And without obedience, we can't actually proceed to blessing. And so that's been a constant throughout the whole series. Now, this is unique. Every person's story has been unique to them. But the Lord says, okay, go to the priest and show himself or show yourself to him, and he'll proclaim you clean. Now, when they took that first step, guess what? They still had the ailment. They still had leprosy. But as soon as they began to move in obedience to God, the miracle began to take place in their life. Now, let's try getting inside the mind of these men. They're on their way to show themselves to the priest. These men have been banished to leper colonies. I'm sure each and every one of them probably had families. They probably had children. Some of them contracted the disease much later in life. Some of them probably were successful businessmen. And now ten men, on their way to the priest, began to be healed by God's power. What are the thoughts that go through their mind? I'm going to be able to hold my daughter. I didn't think I was going to be able to ever see my wife again, and I'm going to be able to hug her and kiss her. I, I can't believe it. I'm, I, I'm doing what the Lord said, and, and I'm actually seeing results. I'm, I'm being healed with every step. I'm getting better. And doesn't it make a lot of sense as they went on their journey to say, oh, what's tomorrow going to be like? I'm going to run into the village, and everybody's going to say, you're unclean. You're saying, no, 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 the priest. I showed myself to the priest, and, and I'm clean now. And everybody will, will grab me, and they'll celebrate with me. It'll be awesome. And that makes sense, doesn't it? But all the while, when we're thinking about tomorrow, we forget about what God did for us yesterday. 
And these men were so excited about seeing their families, returning home, doing the things that they wish they could do all the time. Guess who was the one person that got left out? The Lord. You see, God's not too good at being a priority. He's real good at being the top priority. God doesn't really drive from the back seat. How many of you have wives like mine, and they say you're a crazy driver, and she's in the back seat saying, oh, pull over, I'm going to vomit. Does that happen to y'all? A back seat driver? Yeah, God's not very good at that. You know where God wants to be in your life? Controlling. Oh, not like a, a judge or a ruler, but like a friend. Like a merciful father instructs his child. That's what God wants to be to you. We sometimes get so forward thinking to tomorrow, we forget about the Lord. Just like these men, they just plumb overlooked the provider. May we at Joshua Baptist Church understand that the blessings of God come only from Him. And sometimes we try working. You know, we as a staff probably fall guilty to this a little bit. We try laboring as much as we can. We try moving the chairs. We try doing what we can do to see souls saved. But at the end of the day, we can do nothing apart from God's blessing. And God's not going to build this church off of men's labor or men's ideas. He's going to build it off of Him. As Christ being the chief cornerstone, being preached and proclaimed, and men faithfully clinging to that. I just believe we forget about God sometimes. Take your Bible to Psalm chapter 136. And we're almost done. We're right on time. Don't you worry about that. Psalm chapter 136. I want to share with you one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible. And it's not brilliant, but it speaks to a simpleton like me. Psalm 136, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens for His mercy endureth forever. Y'all noticing something that's constant throughout the entire chapter? Every single verse ends that way. For His mercy endureth forever. Look in verse number 6. To Him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights, for His mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for His mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars uh, to rule by night, for His mercy endureth forever. If you want to take time to read the entire chapter, you can. Every single verse ends that way. You want to see what the psalmist sums it all up as being? The last verse of the chapter sums it all up. Oh, give thanks unto God of heaven, for His mercy endureth forever. You see, he started out trying to be thankful for all the things that God had done. He says, God, you made heaven, and your mercy endureth forever. Thank you. 
Oh God, you are so wise that you even uh, created the stars and you created the sun and the moon. You created light. Father, your, your mercy endureth forever. You're so wise. But by verse 26, he finally just comes to it. Give thanks to God for he is God. And his mercy endureth forever. You see why we ought to be thankful, church? It's because God looked down on us. God looked down on us and showed us favor who were undeserving of favor. God loved us. We forget the provider. Finally, I want you to look at this. We forget the policy. Look here in verse number 16 of Luke chapter 17, back at our original text. Luke chapter 17, verse 16. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew, you forget the policy? Look in verse number 16. Now this is... After the one man wisely and humbly returns to Christ and he thanks him for everything that he has done, he's, he showed him just his great power and this man out of ten was a leader. This man out of ten was thankful and he returned. Now, what do you think Christ's reaction ought to be? To me, it would seem like he would commend the young man. I mean, after all, he's the only one. But he doesn't. Look here in verse 16. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And what's Jesus' reaction? And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give God, glory to God, save this stranger. It almost catches the Lord off guard that he didn't have ten lepers at his feet. I mean, it would make sense that if one man was such made a good decision, if one man did the right thing, it would make sense that the Lord would say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or something like that. But no. The Lord says, Where are the others? We're almost done. I want you to think on this thought. Thankfulness is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. See, the reason the Lord did not commend him is because that's our reasonable service. The reason the Lord was in awe that the other nine did not return is because he had been so good to them, it just made sense for them to give him thanks. Say, I don't know, Brother Andrew, that sounds a little fishy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks... For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, we read books on finding God's will for our life. We tell our teenagers, oh, if you pray hard enough, you'll find God's will for your life. You know what God's will for your life is? To be thankful. To be thankful for Christ Jesus. To be thankful for all that God has done for you. It is not suggestion. It is our obligation. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm chapter 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. You see, the Bible over and over and over again does not suggest thankfulness, but rather requires it of us. But sometimes we forget what our duty is. 
sometimes in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, we forget that God strictly requires thankfulness from His children. I read a story recently of two parents who had a son fall at war. He was shot in battle and was killed. The parents attended a small country church, but they both wanted to do something in memorial of their son. They went to the pastor one day and they said, Pastor, what we want to do is we want to give a a large monetary amount to the church in memory of our son. The pastor said, wow, that's a generous thing. And he asked if he could share that with the congregation. And they said, sure, we're not looking for glory out of it, but that's fine if you think it would be helpful. So the pastor did share what was going to take place. And he shared about how their son was killed at war and how they were going to give a large amount of money in memory of their son. Later that day, on the way home from church, a different couple was in the car, and the father looked over at the mother and said, Honey, why don't we give a a, a large financial sum to our church because of our son? She said, Well, honey, it's pretty simple. Our our son did not die at war. Our, Our son's still alive. He's with us. The father looked at the mother and said, Well, that's my point. See, it's so easy to forget. So easy to forget how good we have it. And you say, Brother Andrew, I'm at the hardest point in my life I've ever been. We forget that God's on our side. I want to encourage us tonight, church. I'm not trying to rip your face. I'm not trying to be on you like... Like sometimes, I'm just saying, as Christians, we ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful for what He's done for us. We ought to be thankful for Him loving us.